Hi, I'm Mark and welcome to a brand new episode of the Service Design Show podcast. This episode is a podcast exclusive just for you listening over here. It's not published anywhere else, not on YouTube. Uh, so congratulations on getting into this episode. This episode is a special one because we're going to share some practical wisdom from people who have gotten their hands dirty in service design. We're going to talk about some of the hard parts of service design, like the dirty secrets and what we can learn from the mistakes and maybe failures of others to help you skip over them. I've invited a special guest uh, onto this episode who's been on the service design show before in episode 72. It's Jacqueline Briou. Hi, Jacqueline. Hey, Mark. Welcome nice back. Again. Yeah, welcome <laughs> back. Uh, good to see you in this special new format. Um, because we're going to do and talk about something different that hasn't been on the show yet. Um, we've just completed our first circle session. Now, for the people who are listening, uh, you're probably not familiar with what the circle is. Um, it's basically a follow-up of the campfire. And if you have no idea what the campfire is, the campfire is a community of in-house service designers uh, who want to come together, share stories, learn uh, from each other. And um, we held our first circle session, our monthly circle session, uh, just a few days ago. And today in this episode, we want to share some of the learnings we found. There are some of the best practices to help you deliver and design services that make a positive impact on people and business. Jacqueline, before we get into this, uh, your theme, the way I sort of summarized it was about delivering incremental value. And you uh, added this like the challenges, constraints, opportunities, and how we navigate uh, delivering value uh, to large teams and organizational transformations. Did I summarize that right? Yeah, yeah. I think the overarching thing when I started was the notion of progress over perfection. And then sort of lessons that I had learned from a completely other experience doing woodworking. And so now applying that within the business space and doing service design. So. Yeah, uh, looking forward to uh, diving <laughs> into that uh, pro progression over perfection, delivering incremental value. Uh, mm -hmm. Jacqueline, uh, just to give us a little bit of context, uh, what do you do these days and how did you get to this topic? Yeah, so I'm currently a lead service designer at Atlassian. Uh, which is an Australian-based company. And I've been there for, I guess, a little over two months now. Um, and that was after actually a five-month break from the service design industry uh, after my last role. And during that time, I started a small business uh, doing woodworking and uh, found it incredibly therapeutic, but also very confidence-boosting and something that helped me understand that, you know, uh, basically like all the things we try to preach to folks within the design world, you know, just about rapid iteration and really listening to feedback throughout and just evolving as you go. And I found myself, you know, in reflection afterwards, realizing that I had done just that in building this business. And, um, and so now at Atlassian, I'm really trying to pay attention to what I learned from that before I started this new role and, um, and just some strategies within my own team um, day yeah. to day. Yeah. yeah. So we are preaching to everyone that we need to prototype, that we need to iterate. And often in practice, it takes a lot of 
it can take a lot of time for us to actually deliver on impact. Uh, somehow it's really hard, uh, it seems to iterate. Mm -hmm. um, why did you pick this specific topic? Why is this important to you? Uh, because I have definitely found myself since transitioning more from product design to service design over the past probably five, six years, um, really like, you know, I, I think I definitely have a strength in systems thinking and really trying to connect all the pieces. But there are moments when you do start zooming out that it becomes, you know, we, we've all, I think a lot of us in this session on Tuesday sort of have heard the expression, don't boil the ocean. And, uh, and you get that a lot in service design because you're trying to look at the system and connect all the parts. And so you do zoom out and often you find all these opportunities to correct, you know, moments throughout the experience. But there are so many dependencies and other internal teams uh, for collaboration so that you can arrive at those changes. And that doesn't always, uh, it doesn't come quickly. And so you're, you're simultaneously tasked with delivering value while you're trying to build these relationships and help, you know, sell service design to folks and get them on board and work with budgets and, uh, and prioritization. And meanwhile, you know, you may not be delivering. And so it matters to me just because I've had two different experiences here where delivering value can be hard. And in my current role, uh, it's a lot more focused and I've found opportunities that are a bit smaller where I can deliver value. And that's been very uh, rewarding. So let's talk about, let's define delivering value. <laughs> like, what does that mean to you in this context? Yeah, I mean, ultimately, I, I'm continually bringing it back to our end users, our customers, trying to help people think from the front lines sort of internally. Um, one of the things that we're working on within Atlassian is helping the organization transition to become a platform company. Um, so if you think of uh, Google and being able to log into any, uh, lot, use one login for all of Google's products um, and being able to, uh, to sort of, as a user, benefit from that consistency. Um, and so the, uh, the thing I'm trying to help the team understand is really thinking about the feedback we're hearing on the front lines from our customers and what is it about a platform that is attractive to our customers. Uh, and it may vary based on the industry you're in and the type of products and services you're offering. Uh, but to work backwards and say, okay, what are we hearing on the front lines? On the front lines, what's desirable? And then allow that to inform my prioritization within the platform teams, uh, sorry, product teams, and then platform teams and work back to like where our team is situated. So value is sort of, you know, paying attention to all, all the humans throughout and all the dependencies throughout but really trying to deliver on the front lines. Yeah. Trying to deliver on the front lines. Yeah, what, what, <laughs> when you say that, what I'm seeing uh, is that eventually our work has to make an impact on people, um, mm -hmm. primarily customers and users, but also maybe mm -hmm. for the people delivering the service. And uh, I think that is the ultimate gratification within service design that you actually see some kind of change in mm -hmm. the, the the environment around you for the better, hopefully. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm, I'm curious if you're also sort of hinting on that, that that tangible change that you can actually say, yes, we made something better this week and we see that our customers are more happy. Like that kind of change, yeah. that kind of value. 
you need, I mean, honestly, that was when I took the five months off, I was really reflecting it was sort of in the beginning phases of that before I sort of threw myself in headfirst into woodworking. Um, but I was really reflecting on like how my career had evolved and how far I had sort of like how distant I had become from, from real, like realizing value or like have feeling personally associated with any kind of value or being able to see that in my work. And it's, and it's not for lack of trying. I mean, I'm sure many of us can, you know, we share the sense, like share, share this um, struggle to deliver value in this field, but it's a, it can be a very, very challenging environment to work in. Like service design is not for folks that just want an easy road. No. Yeah. And again, you use a word which I think a lot of us recognize is the distance between our work and actually impacting uh, people. Mm -hmm. we 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 do the research we do the ideation we see how it connects to strategy but then the road to delivery and implementation what we always talk about can take ages if it ever happens and that uh yeah that that has an impact on your self-worth and how you perceive how others perceive service design like it's great that you're doing all this research but nothing has actually changed yeah yeah, you need to, to 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 see these things come to fruition. And at least in my experience so far, there are so many dependencies organizationally in order to have sort of the fundamental components of an experience you're trying to change um, actually change. Uh, because you, you know, it's often you're at like, I mean, at random, I'll pick some 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 pain points, but it's you know, you either find that similar team or other teams in the organization are trying to tackle a similar problem, but from a different approach. So you find duplicative work. Uh, you may not get the, the headcount um, or the funding that you need to resource some of these efforts. Uh, and so you're left sort of being really scrappy and having to circumvent your process at times and sort of deliver value, but with very limited uh, resources mm. and time. And uh, and so the, and the list goes on. And so you have to constantly work with these constraints. Yeah. And that, working with constraints is okay. I guess that's part of design. <laughs> that's part of uh, being creative. But maybe mm -hmm. let's transition into you came at this from a very interesting uh, angle. Like you took your experience from woodworking and mm -hmm. then tried to uh, sort of apply it onto the design field. Yeah. Hel help us out here. Like... <laughs> What's the connection? Tell us the story. What's yeah? What's the connection? Yeah, yeah. What's the story here? Yeah, I mean, I definitely am grateful that you know I have a fair degree of like digital literacy, and I know a lot of people starting out trying to run a small business just don't have that. Uh, my parents are perfect examples. They are both entrepreneurs, but they have zero digital literacy, and so they've they've like significantly struggled their whole lives, especially as things shift online, to be able to to thrive as entrepreneurs. And so I am grateful that I, you know, I, I took to Google and I started Googling like how to register a business in Virginia and how to get a tax ID. And um, although granted, I did just get a piece of mail from the state of Virginia that was like, you need to file taxes quarterly. And I was like, oops. <laughs> so, so I got to do that before July, like 20th or something. Um, but uh, I just, you know, I, I started thinking about like, let's get all the business fundamentals down. You know, I mean, some of this was based on you know, having worked at Shopify, having learned a little bit about entrepreneurship and, and you know, e-commerce and just trying to get that instance of the business set up. So I 
I sort of had some foundational things I wanted to, to do. I had also set up a consultancy under my, um, like between Fannie Mae and Shopify. So I had done the registration process before. So I knew, okay, I have to do these things, set up a website. I got a, a logo brand. Um, there was independencies there. Like before I uh, aligned on a name, I did some domain searching and some like social handle searching to see what was available. So I could kind of try to squat on as many of the same names as possible. And then I, you know, it had started because my career coach at the time was, um, hadn't seen some of my cutting boards on Instagram and asked if I sold them. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm going to interrupt you for a second because, yeah, yeah, go for it. um, I know like uh, where this story is heading to. Yes. Uh, I know <laughs> that it's going to uh, woodworking, but um, wood, how, why woodworking? Where did why where did that come from? Yeah, so it's so interesting. And, like, and people listening to this, please hang on because I promise you, this <laughs> is super relevant to service design. <laughs> totally. Um, so I mean, there's two two components. Um, One was honestly that I think I had spent so many years not feeling like any sort of reward or gratification in my service design work. Uh, I definitely did as a people manager and I really love mentoring junior designers and, you know, and people who want to transition into service design. So I got a lot of my personal reward from that. But when it came to my applied work, I was just like, it was so frustrating. And so, um, so <laughs> And I just needed something different. Like, I think I was tired of staring at a computer. So I wanted to like do something with my hands, you know, and and have something tangible and like, mm. immediately gratifying. And th this is what, what you also hear often people complaining in service design about is they eventually burn out because they say, I don't want to be producing PowerPoints all day. Right. Yeah. That's that's the only tangible artifact, unfortunately, for some people doing service design. So can imagine that woodworking, <laughs> doing stuff with your hands is a completely different experience. So yeah, yeah. take us take yeah. us further on this journey. Yeah, and you know, um, I started with a few tools. Like I, I think, so we have a, uh, we had just moved before the pandemic hit. So we bought this house that we're in now in October, 2019, and it has a larger backyard and a shed. So I had the shed there, but the shed was mostly like our yard stuff. But I, I you know, I'm thankful my, my Um, my father is a, he's had many, many trades, but basically I was the person who helped him a lot as a child. So I'm very comfortable with tools. So, so I, you know, I built myself some workbenches. I, I got a thickness planer. I had a chop saw. I had a, an orbital. Oh, I had a different, anyway, I acquired some, some tools that I thought would be like some basics. Uh, and some of it was based on, I took a course or like a two day, like weekend workshop on how to make cutting boards. Uh, which I will note, I was the only woman in the course. <laughs> There's for men, which is, you know, they're always like trying to help me out. And I'm like, I got it. I'm good. <laughs> you know? But uh, anyway, it was just, I just started making things and I'm, uh, you know, I learned to uh, so the Instagram community. I've got to say, like, we talked a bit about this in the circle session on Tuesday, but because I was saying how the thing that enabled me to kind of have confidence in, in moving forward with this was that I did get constant feedback from both the Instagram community, as well as people who were starting to take an interest in my work. So yeah, and, so yeah. Let, yeah, let's pause mm -hmm. here. What kind of what do you mean with I was getting constant feedback? Because that's quite, uh, quite an important aspect. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I had, uh, I had a personal Instagram account 
and I was using that for a little bit, but then I opened up my woodworking one and I just started following some people and chatting with some other woodworkers. And it is a remarkably like, <laughs> like it was so refreshing to be part of a community where people don't feel threatened. It's not competitive. You know, it's not like you're trying to one up each other or climb a ladder. Like it was really just like, Oh, do you need help with that? Like, you know, and so you could ask somebody like, Oh, I need to do like, I don't know. I've never done this. I've never used a router before. What do you, how do you use a router? And so I'd get like little videos, the clips from some other woodworkers on the community, or I'd get people commenting on my posts. And so that was the type of feedback where like, oh, that's really awesome, but maybe try this and get that tool or get this type of sandpaper. And yeah. And, and, and that helped you in which way you, you were able to progress faster. Yeah. Like it was a learn. So that would, that was more the learning aspect. It gave me knowledge that I was able to kind of develop my skill set and my confidence in what I was doing. Um, I think interestingly enough, I'm also like, I was pretty comfortable with experimenting and just trying things out. And I trusted, I mean, you know, there's so many career coaching sessions I've had since then to try to analyze how I show up in my woodworking and how I show up in service design. And what did you find? Uh, <laughs> uh, um, it's, it's okay. So actually I had a session like between our circle session and today. Um, Cause it's still, I'm like, I'm fascinated by this. Uh, a big, an interesting thing is that I don't have anyone evaluating me like directly. I don't have performance management. I don't have, you know, a set of stakeholders, uh, you know, my, the people that are effectively evaluating me are my customers. It's <laughs> mm -hmm. so the people who, you know, like, yeah, you get it. Customers is pretty self-explanatory. Sure. Yep. <laughs> so um, if people want to buy things, that's one way of, you know, evaluating me. There's also comments on Instagram. I've done a handful of maker events now um, in person. And so some people, you see them at the table and how they respond to things. And I'm, I'm, I'm just innately curious. So I see how they interact with some of the things I've made and the, the comments they make or the questions they ask about what this thing does, which I get sometimes for the magnetic pieces. <laughs> so I'm like, well, what do you think it does? <laughs> But um, anyway, uh, so that's, so, so there's a way that I, I'm just at, and this is a very subjective thing, but like I am, I am at peace just being my own boss in that space and just going on instincts and trusting myself and sort of being very authentic and not being, I mean, I must if, if, if people critique, if they were really negative about my process or my, or my skills, or if they were, if no one bought anything, I'd probably start internalizing that. And be like, oh, well, maybe I'm really terrible at this. Like, maybe I should stop doing this. Um, but I've so I've gratefully had the opposite, um, where the community, like a lot of folks, like on the, the the maker community, everyone's sharing stories about how we're all just learning, and we're all like, you know, we've all reached out to one another for help. Like, it's a very leveling kind of space. Like, it's not. Um, anyway, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Feel free to well, jump in. yeah, and I, and I, and I'm thinking, <laughs> yeah. like, how many service blueprints did you make in your woodworking business to get it off the ground? Zero. Zero. <laughs> I, know. I know, which is the fascinating thing, right? Like I didn't overthink it. And that was actually something that came up in our session while we were all chatting. And, you know, and the reason why I mentioned the coaching session this week is because I was chatting with her about how I, like, I'm sensing myself flipping into a mode of, of being like, I'm so like, thank you all for this opportunity. Thank you for hiring me, <laughs> you know, on the, on the business side. And like, you know, just really trying to be mindful of how I show up and, and, and like, 
I mean, in general, I'm, I, I try to make sure everyone else is happy. I'm very much like a, are you okay? Do you have the support you need? And when you're working for yourself, I don't know, like you care about your customers and you show up and, and I think I'm just, maybe because I'm, I have a service design background, a customer experience background, I try to take that into account and in how I treat my mm-hmm. customers and mm-hmm. how I frame my business. And maybe that's not the say, not the case for every woodworker. Maybe some people just don't have that. So some of my customers are very appreciative, but in the business side, you know, I just wanted to make sure I didn't slip in terms of my self-confidence. So I was chatting with my coach about like, I came from woodworking and I was like, I matter. I have self-worth, <laughs> like, you know, like I'm okay at this. I'm enjoying this. It gives me like, you know, a real sense of purpose. And I wanted to make sure that I wasn't flipping to more of a, I, I can't find the word for it, but like, thank, like, like I have to recognize that you know, this organization hired me as well, that this mm-hmm. is a mutually beneficial arrangement. And often I approach the workplace in like a thank you. Thank you so much for this opportunity, you know? <laughs> so, uh, like being your own boss and getting feedback from customers, being mm-hmm. able to uh, put stuff into the world really quickly, being able to iterate really quickly, um, that's in stark contrast to, I think, the reality we as service designers experience in most organizations. Totally. Are there any things that you feel we can take or learn, or maybe you already have taken from your sort of other uh, side of your identity into your service design profession? <laughs> and if so, what are those things? Yeah, definitely the sometimes... You, you know, you recognize that there's process or you recognize what could be ideal. Like for instance, my shop is 12 by eight. It is not large. I have maximized all the space I can possibly maximize in there. You know, if I were trying to boil the ocean in that context, maybe I'd be like, oh, I got to go rent a maker space that's bigger, that has bigger tools. Or maybe I need to demo my shed and build something bigger before I'm actually ready for it yet. You know, but in fact, I can, I can effectively make all the things I want to make yeah, it may not be as efficient because I've got things on carts and I'm moving them around and I'm having to like step over things and, you know, plug different things in at different times, but I can still deliver the same product. Um, and then one of the things I actually did very recently was, you know, I had put together this whole agenda to do a workshop with one of our internal teams because my role, I work, I work um, directly with internal end users And so we're doing, um, so my direct customer sort of is like, is is fellow employees. And so that's where I'm looking for a lot of that reward um, to start. And so I had put together this, you know, sort of an ideal workshop structure uh, to try to do some co-creation with these, this internal team. And I put, I shared the agenda with them and it was sort of a, like a journey mapping workshop and immediately, you know, it was sort of quiet. And then I just followed up and I was like, okay, well, like, you know, what are you thinking? And like, honestly, I'm not, you can, you can, you know, please give me your honest feedback. And he was like, well, it's a lot of time, you know, and I just, I don't know if we really need all of that just to tell you how we should work together. (laughs) And, and so I heard that and I was like, oh my God, like, of course, like, you know, we did have this vision for doing workshops with all the different types of end users and sort of understanding the nuances of your journeys and how you want to engage and information you might need and communication channels you might desire. But I think we can, you know, I'm happy to like figure out something really lean right now. So we had like a 30 minute meeting last year this week and they just succinctly shared that they wanted fewer meetings 
they wanted them on a quarterly basis. Uh, they wanted to be able to see escalation pathways. They wanted to be able to see um, specifically what the roadmap of their, you know, platform adoption looked like. So I just got very like quick and dirty, like feedback. And then I spat out like a confluence page to be like, mm-hmm. all right, here's what I heard. Mm-hmm. And they were like, Ooh, this is awesome. And now we have like a starting point. Yeah. So, I yeah. Mean, you know, yeah. So it, it sounds like, um, the, the skill that you're bringing from the woodworking business into the service design field is a skill of improvising, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> Planning to a certain extent, but also being in the moment and actually listening and seeing and sensing what's needed and adapting quickly to that. That's that's one thing I'm taking away from this. The other thing is, it, it sounds like you're in a situation within your organization where you can actually change and deliver stuff. Like when you say, I delivered the Confluence page, that gives you the, uh, it empowers you to, actually design the service to to mm-hmm. design the touch points and that you're directly manipulating in a positive sense the experience mm-hmm. yeah am yeah, i like it yeah was, am it I, was within a like a eight hour period where we had yeah. this meeting i spent a couple hours just like updating this document sent it back to them they're like that's great i got our program manager to change the meeting cadence and like you know, yeah, we so, started like yeah. the one of the change. Yeah. And the question here often is like, where should service design be situated? Should it be a strategic mm-hmm. thing? Should it be in operations? <laughs> should it be in marketing? And uh, what we're seeing here is like, y- you have to do all of them. You, you have to be able to <laughs> operationalize your insights really quickly. Yeah. And how, that how do you do that? Alone. People should really capture that. Operationalize your insights very quickly. Like that is a very powerful statement. Um, so capture that, folks. <laughs> yeah. But um, and it's so fascinating because I, so you know, I'm chatting with another, uh, with some other folks within the organization that are in a similar role that I was at in the previous company I was at, and they're experiencing some similar, you know, struggles to to being. Um, sort of within a, I mean, I'll just say like they're on the support team. I was on the support team before and there are a lot of moving components. I mean, support is there sort of underscoring, you know, sort of the, the, basically the help, like the, I'm going to be redundant, but it's under like support exists to under, like to underscore all product touch points or all service touch points as like a, do you need help? Here's the support team. And so those touch points can happen at any moment. And so it just really, like talk about flair, like you really have to look at all the different um, teams who, you know, whose experiences may drive traffic to support channels <laughs> and really, and like all those in all the different communication channels and like awareness building channels that, that ensure that people, you know, are they connecting with the right expert? Are they getting, are they going through the right channel? Are we, you know, what if like, are the product updates hitting all the, you know, the help docs at the right time? Like there's, it just goes on. And so it's a very complex space to work in. And I, I think personally, like, um, I don't know if I, for my own well-being, would want to put myself in a role that has that many dependencies throughout the organization because it's a very challenging experience um unless that organization really showed that it it had a vision and a dedication 
to helping unblock Mm -hmm. some of those constraints. Um, And I do think that where I'm at now, I think we are, I think I, I do believe that the organization can get there. But the thing that's different about my particular role, and I said this during the circle, is that I'm part of a triad of, you know, we have engineering, product management, and design. And generally, in my, this is my experience in other organizations, the design hat is generally worn by a product designer or somebody who's leading a team of product designers. But because the space that our team is in is very service oriented, they hired a service designer into that triad. And I have a very, like, very specific focus. Um, I have a seat at the table. I am like an essential member of the team. I am not sort of the nice to have service designer who's sort of a horizontal consultant, you know, to the team. Uh, I am, I, you know, I'm in a lot of the leadership meetings and I'm, I'm able to share my perspective and to deliver this incremental value in a way that has an audience. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You've, yeah. you've been enabled to deliver yes. that value, right? Yeah. The, the yeah. Some uh, circumstances in your context and your environment uh, vouch for you to actually be able to deliver on your promise of uh, what service design stands for. And I was thinking, mm-hmm. like, the the challenge here maybe is that if, if you don't implement uh, as a service designer, you just do these strategy stuff. And that's mm-hmm. okay, but uh, don't call yourself, don't don't think you're a service designer because then serve, like in the word design, you want to make stuff and not per se, making mm-hmm. change for me is also making stuff, but like yeah. the, the, the it's, it's a deep desire to get things into the world. And if we're just stuck at strategy research, then sooner or later you'll get frustrated, right? So you need to find ways to with your ideas, suggestions, insights into the world. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, Jacqueline, we in the circle. There were uh, we are a bunch of in-house service design professionals. Well, I'm not. I'm facilitating uh, the circle. Um, there are there's. Uh, huge amount of uh, like i called uh, practical wisdom lived experiences mm-hmm. battle scars whatever you want to call them <laughs> uh if if you're listening to this and you're interested mm-hmm. in the circle uh, check out servicedesignshow.com slash circle if you might want to join but jacqueline what were some of the things let's call them best practices that stood out for you uh that we heard from the other circle participants in relation to the topic of delivering incremental value, pro- progression over perfection, what were some <laughs> of the other themes that uh, came up? Yeah, I think three that, I mean, there's, again, because I pre-framed it into six circles, so everybody filled the six circles, which is great. But I think the three that really, you know, resonated uh, with the group, um, and I think are very powerful, but one is the flare versus focus. And paying attention to cues when it might be the right time to adjust sort of your level of flair and your level of focus. What, what does and it mean, flair and focus? Yeah. <laughs> and that's a little cryptic. Um, so, you know, the flair bit is when you're zooming out and you're sort of trying to look at the ecosystem a bit more, or look at uh, a customer's journey across multiple touch points. And maybe that spans multiple teams. And maybe that goes outside of your organization into the broader ecosystem. And so you could just keep going and going and going and like, you know. It's a fractal. Yes, <laughs> it's. It could, I mean, the great analogy I think of is, uh, or visual analogy is looking at Google Maps. 
you know, mm. do you want, are you, are you zooming in on a particular like restaurant and then you zoom out and you see what else is on the strip and you see the street it's on and you zoom in a little bit more, you see like the neighborhood and then the city and then the state and then this country and then, the, you know, it just keeps going. So you could, you know, try to understand the what's universe. affecting that yeah. restaurant experience yeah. based on all these variables that are very removed. <laughs> um, and so I think as service designers, where it's still a relatively nascent field, and I think a lot of us have struggled to, sorry, go ahead. Do you want to no, say? no, no, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, like, I think we all have this challenge of like, because it's so, it's so fragile in so many organizations and there's so much pressure to deliver value and it's very stressful. Like that was in part why I didn't want to go back to the industry after I, for my last job, I was like, uh, my quality of life matters more than the stress I'm under to deliver value against these enormous constraints. Um, and, you know, and I think the lesson that I've learned and that really resonated with others is being very mindful of flaring too much because that can really overwhelm you and you can start overthinking about all the things. Cause you start seeing the whole space and you see all these opportunities for improvement, but you, it's so hard to affect them all. <laughs> it's impossible to affect them all. Yes. And, and you mentioned <laughs> something about cues. So when do we know mm. that it's, it's time to focus rather than flare? Yeah. Uh, so, and it's so funny because sometimes I'm really good at giving advice to others. Like, and then I'm like, I should really take my own advice more. <laughs> Listen um, to this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> right. There you go. Um, so I'm trying to think of the signals, you know, like some of it's prescribed. So like depends on the team you're on and the role you have, you could already actually be in a fairly focused state from the get go, which is sort of my case right now. Um, it's fairly focused and things come in over time. You might recognize that, uh oh, there's like two or three other teams that are kind of doing something similar. And then you start zooming out a little and you're like, okay, well, maybe we should all have a working group so we can align, or maybe we should have a, like an ecosystem map so we can see where we all live in this ecosystem, tackling the same problem. <laughs> and, uh, and I think that's still within the realm of like a strategic focus because you're trying to avoid duplication for the benefit of, you know, employee sanity and, you know, efficiency, but the signals are, are two-sided. And this is what we think we got at in the circle session, because I spoke a lot about coaching, which is another point I'll bring up. Um, I think it's really important for us as human beings <laughs> to really tune into our own subjectivity. And that's a signal in and of itself. If you're like, and I'll, I'll be less cryptic. Um, so if you're feeling defeated or feeling frustrated or just generally depressed about your inability to like deliver value, pay attention to that signal that you're getting as a service designer and as a human being who needs to feel like you're helping people <laughs> and reflect on, am I flaring too much? Am I trying to tackle too much? And what are the things that you can focus in on where you might be able to like dial it back a little and deliver something smaller or more incremental. Um, and that's, I mean, I think that that alone, and then also just flipping it and paying attention to the organization and what are the signals you're getting in terms of OKRs or prioritization, um, things that you, you feel that there's support for where there's less of a battle to sell it, you know, where you might be able to deliver something small. And here I'm thinking back to your uh, woodworking story. <laughs> like there, it's really clear what the ownership is of what you're doing. Mm -hmm. 
right? And mm-hmm. sometimes in, in an organization, especially as a service designer, like that ownership is quite abstract and ill-defined, and then you end up trying to do everything. So mm-hmm. if you if you think about if you're listening to this, what is your ownership? What do you want to own? Mm-hmm. Do you want to be the CEO? Like sometimes we act like the CEO, or we we uh, tend to take the CEO perspective while we're not at the same hierarchical hierarchical level. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Level. <laughs> or you just want influence? Like I'm thinking, yeah. you may not want to be the CEO, but I've often historically felt like. We need to be higher up. We need more visibility. We need more. We need more influence over the broader organization. Being nested this far deep is like, you know, trying to like uh, build relationships and build trust and lean on the advocacy of others to advance. Like not just not advance personally, but advance your work and the value can be a you know it's an uphill battle. <laughs> so I was like, we need a we need a seat higher up. But I don't know if that's the case right now. Well, yeah, it never <laughs> like, and this is the the Google Maps example. Like, it never stops. So, right. <laughs> at at some point, yeah, at some point, you have to know at which zoom level you can still influence things. Well, yes. you you mentioned something about co- coaching. I'm really curious mm-hmm. about that. What was what was the context there? Yeah, uh, highly recommend. Um, uh, and that's something that seems a lot of folks in the intercession either hadn't really sought out yet and were now intrigued by, um, or just didn't necessarily connect it to their, like the career side of it. Um, but I had, you know, um, it was, we had, yeah, my stuff's all online. You can find out what kind of year we had, <laughs> but it, we just, we had been through a lot. My self-esteem was like, in addition to the personal stuff and, you know, my work situation and just having spent several years, like, at this organization, just like constant constraint, 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 and like not being able to do or to realize any of my ideas or any of my suggestions or like, you know, to deliver anything. I, I, my self-esteem had eroded so much that I was like, oh, no one's going to hire me. I'm not good at anything. Like I should just leave the industry. And, um, and before sort of, I left, we had a modern health benefit. And so I started seeing a career coach through modern health and, um, and fittingly enough, this career coach is the woman who was like, oh, do you, I saw your woodworking, like, do you sell these? <laughs> you know? And that was honestly like the impetus for like turning it into a business. Um, so I will forever give her credit for that. Um, but I never like, you know, I had, I've been, I'm fine to disclose this, but I've been seeing a therapist for like the majority of my adolescent and adult life, but I have never seen a coach. And I think there's a very, very clear distinction between um sort of it maybe depends on the person like who, who the professional you see but a therapist and a coach and what i needed was somebody to help lift me back up i needed somebody and not in like a you know an inflated way but like in an authentic way where we could have real conversations about who i am what i value how i show up what i need um and to really reflect on my strengths and my skills and it was a joint it was a combination of having weekly sessions with this coach to help me recognize my value and recognize, you know, the life I wanted to live and how to kind of bring that back to center, but also doing the woodworking and having my, this community really helped lift me up as well and help me find confidence in myself again. So 
people might be thinking, okay, this is something that's uh, re only relevant to you, Jacqueline, but uh, apparently <laughs> not because this topic really resonated <laughs> with a lot of uh, folks in our circle session. Why do you think coaching and that kind of support uh, triggered so much uh, hmm. well, positive emotions or emotions? Anecdotally, I would say part of it is that uh, maybe I'll speak for myself, but I got into design, not through like graphic design and studying design. I got into it from like the humanities and social sciences uh, because I'm fascinated by human behavior and I'm really passionate about helping others. And I think when that's your motivation for being a designer uh, or, you know, ex like fill in the blank kind of designer um, it, it and you, and you aren't realizing that, on a day-to-day -day or month-to-month -month or year-to-year -year basis, it can be really, really existentially challenging. <laughs> mm. And I think service design poses a particular risk to that because it is so complex. Uh, and there's so much pressure on delivering value. Well, so yeah, and, and coaching, the, yeah. Yeah. And the, and the, and the, you, you verbalize it greatly and I'll uh, need to re-listen to how you actually said it, but a lot of people are getting into service design because they want to make things better for people like mm -hmm. that's the that's their passion that's their drive they're like fed yes. up with services that that are over bureaucratic that that don't work organizations that put pe processes over people so mm -hmm. um yeah that that definitely resonates with a lot of uh folks listening i think and the uh the disappointment when you cannot deliver on that or don't see an uh, uh change yeah. within a certain reasonable time frame yeah that's that's tough i was thinking about um like with coaching it, do you also feel that it's related to the fact that the, a lot of the things that we do in service design you sort of learn through experience so after you've been in service design for 10 years you know okay this shit takes long like you just <laughs> have to have patience like you you'll meet uh, resistance and when you're sort of starting out, even mid-level career, it's hard to find that perspective because you don't mm -hmm. have that experience. Do you feel coaching plays a role in, in yeah, finding that perspective, keeping that motivation? Yeah. 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 It also helps you find your parameters, I think, for what you're willing to like for how long you're willing to stay in the race, kind of, you know, stay in the game, you know, or stay in this particular uh, lane of a game. That's <laughs> a weird analogy, but I'm just like, like think of the lane as the organization, you know, and sometimes you just have to recognize that it, it the organization is just not where you personally need it to be to allow you to thrive. And that's okay. And you need to just find another place where maybe the conditions are more conducive to who you are and how you work. Um, and maybe they're in a different state of maturity uh, or a different, or, or even like as nuanced as your manager and their understanding of service design and their support for service design and their advocacy. Um, yeah. Like those things go a long way. Yeah. And, and a coach might help you to ask the right questions mm -hmm. and figure out, is it me or is it something, totally. something else? Yeah. Cause you could, you could go on about internalizing it, yeah. you know? And I yeah. think, and like, especially, especially when it comes down to performance evaluations mm. and you start thinking like, you know, it's not for any lack of trying or lack of desire or lack of intention. 
you know, that you may not get a great performance evaluation, but you, you so take that personally because they are individual performance evaluations and you never get to give them the other way. You don't get to, you know, evaluate the organization or the team. So it's very one-sided and it, it puts the burden on the designer, you know, or on the person trying. Uh, And I think you need that coach to remind you that this isn't, this isn't, this isn't a measure of your self-worth or your value. And, 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 to be honest, I think this is one of the reasons why people join the campfire and the circle to just mm-hmm. hear stories from others telling them that, okay, <laughs> it's it's just as challenging where you are. You're just running into the same challenges. Like hearing those stories uh, mm-hmm. is half of the, of the comfort, like knowing that uh, it's not about you or it's not just about you. Yeah, yeah, it's the community aspect, and that was the word I think we closed our mm. set our session with because that was what I the 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 woodworking community has has continued to be just this amazingly inclusive and welcoming and supportive environment, and I yeah. think what what the circle's offering is a similar thing. Yeah, and that's a great point. Like, uh, mm-hmm. find a community. Like, don't try mm-hmm. to do it alone. Like, and. Yeah. Uh, uh, your teammates, if you're in a service design team of two, three, five, ten people, like that's a community. But it also helps to find people outside of your organizations, uh, organization who might be in a similar situation and, and talk through some of these things. Now, okay, we've talked about flaring and focus. We've <laughs> talked about yes. coaching, but you mentioned there was also a third item. Mm. Yeah, I mean, there's there's some other things in here. The one that I think that really jumped out for me was the role in a team. And that's, you know, it's a little less to do with progress over perfection and incremental value, but I just think it's important for all of us to reflect on whether you're in an existing role or you're, you, or you're seeking a new role. Uh, it, it matters tremendously. I think, um, uh, there's, I mean, one of the things actually, and I, I have to give a shout out to Lassian for this, but, one of my favorite interviews was my values interview, which shocked the heck out of me because normally I hate the like prescriptive nature of like, tell me about a time when, you know, <laughs> but it gave me a chance to have a very authentic conversation with the person on the other side who had been trained in, you know, moderating these. And I loved the conversations we had. And it was sort of a testament to, you know, somehow they have unlocked the like hiring profile based on values and shared values. And that's a, I think that's an enormous feat, you know, because a lot of companies have values and they all talk about their values and how they try to live their values. But I find it often very hollow and it's the the things that just sound nice. And in reality, they don't actually practice them. Um, And so there was something about that process that gave me confidence. And of course I was like super nervous to go back into the industry. I was like, I'm coming from this place of, you know, I'm very happy. I, I get to wake up and I listen to music and I make things out of wood and I talk to my lovely Instagram community and I go to events and people are very nice and I get all these new ideas and like, you know, and it was just like this flowing thing. Granted, you know, you have, we have bills to pay and, you know, I was still in the red from like starting buying all the gear and all the equipment. And, uh, and I recognized that it, um, I mean, part of it was that opportunities came my way. I wasn't necessarily seeking it to go back in the industry. It's just that I had a few compelling things that came my way and one that really uh, won me over, which is where I'm at now. Um, But the role in a team, I think is very fascinating just because I'm looking at one organization, let's say, and where I'm positioned, 
versus where someone else in this organization is positioned. And we have two very different experiences. And I just think it's a very important part of your interview process to get a sense of, okay, what kind of support is there for this way of thinking, this way of working? Um, you know, is there advocacy within sort of your org chart? <laughs> um, do you have a seat at the table? Uh, what kind of influence can you have? Is this an organization that allows sort of, you know, where, where influence is more democratic and horizontal, or is it very hierarchical? Um, you know, we talk about access to resources and I think that's important, but it doesn't always have to be headcount. It's kind of like, you know, also just, I don't know. I just think there are a lot of variables and I'm still, that's why I stopped because I, like, I interrupted myself because I think I'm still reflecting on, I don't have an answer for where the right orientation is for service design because I've seen it in so many different flavors and there are just so many variables that we can't just say, oh, service design has to live within this organization. It needs to have this number of people. It needs to work on these things because I don't think we're there yet. But mm. I do think as a person, as a human being, you have to, you have, this is where coaching, it all ties back to coaching, but like you have to think of yourself and what you need as a human and what you need to like, like we, I don't know, the bottom line is that we matter and I, and you have to advocate for yourself as much as like, and, and also evaluate the company as much as they're evaluating you. So, especially in service design, because if you're like me, you care about helping people. And if you can't do that, it's not going to be of good service to you or the organization yeah. if it's not happening. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, um, what I see, and that's, uh, maybe a pitfall of, uh, this community is that we're so sometimes overly optimistic about mm -hmm. the change we can make <laughs> and uh whenever we're in a challenging situation just a challenging environment we sort of have that belief that we'll change that this will be better like one day they'll mm -hmm. they'll get it um but yeah the the question is do you do you wait for that do you do you want to wait for that do you want to fight those battles or do you just <laughs> try to find and organization where all those uh, uh, conditions are already in place and you can actually focus on the thing that mm. you want to do or is it part of your job like i ha i don't have i don't know <laughs> yeah because i've been the first one in doing it twice and i'm now not the first one But I'm like, I'm of the new, co you know, the, the, I think I'm, I may be the only one with the title service design mm. at the organization, mm -hmm. but there are many people who practice it as a way of thinking and a way of working. And I think we also have to be open-minded about that, that you don't need the title of service design to be doing service design. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I, I would say most people doing service design don't have the title service design. So totally. yeah. Let's uh, let's try try to summarize this. We started with delivering incremental value, taking learnings from woodworking. <laughs> um, what are some learnings that you took away from uh, from our session? What, what will stick with you and that you'd like to share with the rest of the community? Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting to see because I had set up a mural board where I had asked folks as we were sharing our stories to kind of group some of their thoughts into four buckets. Um, one was, you know, what have you learned? What was surprising? What resonated with you? And then ideas for the future. And it was just interesting as I looked through them to see the things folks learned, which were, which tended to be 
a bit more about my personal story. They were just documenting that. The surprising bit was interesting because I think I was, I wasn't expecting some of the things to be surprises. Um, and then the, what resonated was the most populous of all the boards, which said something very powerful and that we do need this community. <laughs> I think there's, it provides us a space to, to be open and honest with one another in a safe environment where we can be vulnerable and we can share, you know, sort of the raw, honest truth about what we're struggling with or what's working, what's not working. And, you know, there's no performance evaluation attached. This is not an interview. This is about, you know, this is about us trying to learn from one another. Um, And then there were some really great constructive ideas. And I think I'm very excited about where you have a vision for this community going in terms of some of the output from the community that I think will be of real value to, to those. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so well, it's uh, it's uh, not a spoiler, but a first reveal. So one of the <laughs> ideas that we're having is to publish a survival guide for in-house service designers. Uh, if it's already out, then the link will be in the show notes. Uh, most likely it's servicedesignshow.com slash guide. If you're listening to this and it's not out yet, then you'll probably be able to get on the waiting list for when it's published. Um, but yeah, you mentioned the community. This is... Um, we're going to repeat these sessions on a monthly basis. We have a program for the next five months. Uh, next month will be the theme of service design leadership, or it's actually at the end of this month, depending on when you're listening, end of July. Right. Yeah. Service design leadership. So somebody bringing in their experience and uh, sharing practical wisdom. Um, if you're interested in joining a community of in-house service design professionals, people who are just as committed and passionate as you are, uh, check it check it out service slash circle um we have a limited number of open seats available every month we don't want to flood the community so uh <laughs> if you're interested in joining check out service slash circle jacqueline thanks a lot for sharing your reflection bringing in your topic uh, i hope this was helpful for you as well and yeah once again thanks for sharing with the community of course, no. It's it's rewarding to be back right now. I think I was expressing to my team that I'm glad I took that time. That I'm in a much a much healthier headspace right now, and I think we all sometimes need a little little pause button, you know. So, but thanks, Mark. Yeah, cool. So, everybody, thanks for listening to the Service Design Show. It was great having you. Uh, I'll catch you in two weeks' time with a brand new episode. See you then. <laughs>